0: Well, hello, my name is Brad, one of the pastors here at Crossview, and it is good to be together. Anybody else like me? Uh, October snow, number one. Is anybody else angry? Uh, And then the first thing I do, if I see snow, I get on my phone, 10-day forecast, please have a day so I don't, I mean, get warm enough so I don't have to shovel it this early on. So (laughs) luckily, like you said, I saw 55 in the forecast coming up, so please no one shovel. Let's do this together. Um, I was sitting there. And I know this is different. It feels different. The start of Rosa Parks is not what we all thought it would be, but I was sitting there, uh, and for me to say getting emotional is a big statement. I don't often get to the emotional place. Um, But about five, six years ago, uh, a 132-year-old church started dreaming of what's next. And we thought, through prayer and listening to different groups, one of the themes that came out was this very thing that we're sitting in now. And uh, it makes me think also that one of our, our dreams moving forward to is healthy churches are reproducing churches. And we want to do this again and again and again and see more and more and more people connected to Jesus Christ. So, so good to see you all and all of you that are pouring into this. It is absolutely amazing to see you and be here today. So, my first time preaching at our Rosa Parks location. We're talking about sex and <laughs> divorce. So, I know there's some kids in the room. I'm going to caveat things here in a second. Uh, but we're in this Sermon on the Mount series. And sometimes you could read through the Sermon on the Mount, it could feel just like a new set of laws. All these new things that I have to do, it feels like this rule-based life. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the passage where Jesus says He's the fulfillment of the law. And if you're going to lean into what the Sermon on the Mount is, it all begins with understanding that it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. What we see here described is the beauty of what the kingdom reality can look like. But it has to begin with repenting of our sins and turning towards Jesus Christ. That's what he invited them to do, Matthew says, a couple chapters earlier. So please understand, I think sometimes when we're preaching these sermons, they can feel like, oh, it's just more that I have to do. And it's no, rely on Christ and begin to leave it, lean into some of these things. So normally what we do when we preach, we have a little bit of a format that we follow. We start off by trying to get your attention. But I think all I have to do to get your attention is say lust, sex, divorce, and making oaths. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And they do all sort of go together in some really interesting way. So we all know the realities. We all know what the numbers are, but I'm going to read them. Think of, and it's interesting. These are conversations. I can't remember the last time we preached on this at Crossview. It's conversations we don't have that we should have. Listen to the stats. Almost 50% of marriages fall apart. 47% of families in the U.S. reported that pornography is a problem in their home. 11 is the average age that the child is first exposed to porn. 94% of children will see pornography by the age of 14. 68% 68 of church-going men uh, watch porn. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, that goes up to 76%. 33% of women aged 25 and under uh, search for porn at least once a month. And that number is continuing to rise. And those of you with kids, just keep them with you. I'm going to get to the level of conversation we're going to be in. It'll be okay Okay this morning. It says only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch pornography. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. Isn't that interesting? I don't say all this to get us down and full of shame. I say all this to, to say, why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't we creating safe spaces for people who are struggling to have conversations where they can become whole? And that's what we want to do this morning. For those of, for those of you who have younger kids in here, let me tell you this. We've we talked we talk about this on occasion. There's a great book called The Search to Belong, where this guy Joe Myers talks about the different levels of belonging that we all need. So we all need this big safe space where we can go in a crowd, and we can be maybe even not even known by our face, but completely safe. You don't have to bare your soul. Then we need groups of sort of, uh, it's almost sort of like... Um, 30 or so. You go into a classroom, and you you all know each other. You know your names. You know some some things about you. Then we need the small group, and then we need the two to three people that know us bare, that we can lay everything out. And uh, he describes it around architecture, that there's the front porch. That's the big crowd. There's the living room where you get into some of the more intimate conversation. The most intimate is the kitchen. This message this morning is going to be a front porch conversation, um, and purposely, It's going to feel very much up here because my hope is that we begin to take this seriously and have living room and kitchen conversations out there. Does that make sense? It's such an important thing for us to be talking about. So let me begin by saying this as we head into it. This is not a, and I don't care who would be up here preaching. uh, This is an I struggle, you struggle, we all struggle. And so let's be in the conversation together. Let's pray before we jump into Matthew 25 or Matthew 5. Jesus, thank you for your word. And God, we pray that you would speak this morning, uh, that your spirit would convict. God, I pray just as much as conviction that your spirit would speak hope. Lord, that in depending on you, submitting to you, experiencing your forgiveness, God, we can begin to have freedom. The, maybe it's the process of freedom. We pray for that this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Matthew 25, Matthew 5, verse 27. Says this, you have heard what is said. And we've seen this again and again. He's going to say it for the rest of chapter 5. He keeps quoting these Old Testament laws You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Well, stop for one second. The Old Testament law was more about what you did. But what Jesus is going to get into, it's actually about the desire. It's not just about this outward thing. It's about the desire. And he turns it on. He begins to turn it on its head a little bit. In a male-dominated society, often women were the ones given the onus for covering up so a male wouldn't lust. And what Jesus is saying here is, male, female, you who are lusting, I want to have a conversation with you. Modesty is a whole different conversation. You can have that another time. But Jesus is putting the responsibility on those who are desiring Verse twenty nine. So, if you're if you're lusting after somebody, here's what Jesus says: If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. That'll be our experience at the end of the service if you struggle. <laughs> it is better. This, isn't it like it's sort of funny because somebody, I take all of the Bible literally. Do you take that you know <laughs> word for word for what it means? It's hyperbole. And then he says this: It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And again, I've got to stop because this is another big conversation. There's a conversation around heaven and hell. That there is life with God and life without God. That's called heaven and hell. That's true in the life we live now. You can have life without God, and that's called hell. You can have life with God. And that's also true in the afterlife. There's life with God and life without God. That's not what is being talked about here. The people listening, when they would have heard this word hell, it's the Greek word canna. And Gehenna is this smoldering trash pit on the outside of town where no one wants to go. And what Jesus is saying here, better just to go hang out in the trash pit. If you don't want to take this seriously, go hang out there. It's it's just basically the same thing. He says if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one body part than for your whole body to go go into Gehenna. So let's break down a couple of things and then we're going to go into divorce after this. Uh, it'll just get better and better. But think about it. You've got to begin by saying, when, when we talk about lust, when we talk about affairs, we have to begin with our understanding of sex and sexuality. That There's a, a spectrum, especially in a, an American culture, there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of shame around sex. We don't even talk about it. Um, for those of you that are, I love the different ages represented here, but for some of you, when I say sex, you can remember back to I love Lucy. Husband and wife slept in What? separate beds there was there was a significant amount of shame to sex come to where we are now and i would say we've covered the spectrum now it's sort of an anything goes and all of us sit somewhere on that spectrum and it may depend even in different areas of your life when it comes to sex that we there's a huge spectrum of when we think about it biblical sex can often be termed around two things one is procreation that sex is meant to produce that's the beginning of the Bible but then in Song of Songs we also met it's, sometimes we say sex is both for procreation and recreation right that it's a good thing that God gave us and so what Jesus is doing just think about, about the, around our understanding of sex that he's affirming the law don't have adultery, but he goes to the heart he's teaching about controlling desires he's not saying sex is bad it's not the suppression of sexuality jesus is teaching them to begin to think differently and i think the teaching here if you get at it is really hard the hyperbole is challenging us to take it seriously It's challenging us to be not serious in the ah sex let's talk about it. no it's seriously in that like this matters create space where you can talk about this i love the gospel invitation to repent and believe Because I think part of this, when we think about lust, and by the way, this is an all-in conversation. Everyone in this room on some level struggles with lust. Wanting something that is not ours. Wanting something that maybe we don't think we have. Wanting something that maybe our spouse we don't think is giving to us. We all struggle with it. And I think part of the the repent thing is begin to take it seriously. Like if you're really struggling with lust, there's a few things you can do. There's a really great website called Triple X Church. I know that sounds really weird, but there's software that you can download and you can have an accountability partner. Where every week they get sent at the end of the week, questionable websites that you might have looked at, and then you can have conversations. Um, another thing that I would encourage you around the around the repent piece is maybe for some it's therapy. Like it's become such a stronghold in your life. And what I want you to hear: there, there's not shame around it. We all have strongholds. They look different. But sin is sin. Maybe it's therapy. Maybe it's celebrate recovery. Celebrate recovery is a great place, a Christ-centered 12-step process, and it's not just for alcohol or drugs. It's for anything. It's for someone struggling with pride. But it's definitely for some some of these things. The repentance to take it seriously. The believe part of this, I think, is, is this invitation to desire the one you are committed to. And if you're single, that is to wait for sex for marriage. And if you're married, is the one that God gave you, desire them. And maybe that is also for you saying, we need to go to counseling. We've been in a loveless marriage for so long, we need some help. But take it seriously. And I I think we're going to see that as the invitation in this next part too. Verse 31, it has been said, again, referring to the law, anyone who divorces his wife, must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and that, that sexual immorality is the Greek word pornaya. And it's, it's this. it could be incest, but I think in this context, it's basically sexu- a sexual sin that would destroy the marriage. So you make her a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, what's going on here? What is the context and how do we understand it? So, in the first century, and Jesus is referring back to Deuteronomy 24, a passage that they were sort of taking and giving them themselves license, but Jewish males looking at this teaching in Deuteronomy 24 where it says, you could divorce your spouse, and mainly to the men, you could divorce your spouse if she did something indecent. And they were taking this word indecent and basically meaning, having it mean whatever they wanted. Oh, she burned the meal two nights in a row? Game over, marriage over. It seriously had gotten to that point where they had taken such license with it that Jewish males generally could rationalize divorce and leave leave their wife for just about anything. Not leave their wife, kick her out of the house. In a male-dominant society, most often the male was getting the win. And the certificate is this idea. There's some scholars who say both man and woman, if you had the certificate, Like if the male divorced the the female, didn't give her a certificate, she couldn't marry again. She was a social outcast. The certificate meant that either of them could marry again. And here's the thing. This is not just about women have a certificate of divorce so they could get married. The heart of this is actually take marriage seriously. The teaching had come to the place where a male or female could give a certificate of divorce and end their marriage without a whole lot of thought. And what Jesus is inviting them into is take the marriage seriously. I think most scholars would say there's there's two reasons for a divorce. One would be an unrepentant affair. And the reason I say those two words together is because I've seen, I'm an old guy now, I've seen marriage after marriage after marriage restored after an affair. So an unrepentant affair, or affairs, whatever you want to put in there, or abandonment. Someone who completely abandons their marriage. And again, I should put caveats around that. I mean, there's so much that could be in that conversation. But I say that to say, we tend to put the list above about 30 things that we can divorce for. And what Jesus is saying here, because I think our culture is very similar, divorce has just sort of become the easy thing we do. And for those of you that divorce, this is not a shame thing. This is saying, the marriage that you're in, for the single people, the marriage you're going to be in, fight for it I mean, this is this is god's original creation he made a male and female so that the two could become one i think we've lost sight of what marriage is marriage is supposed to be this good hard right beautiful thing in ephesians it says submit to one another out of reverence for christ it's a christ-based love where we submit to each other and what that means, often I'll sit down with a young couple and they, you get this sense of two things. One is, they're thinking, who's in charge? And the second thing that they're thinking, I, there's the seven things that I need to change about him or her, and they're going to be perfect, right? <laughs> Never going to change the seven things. <laughs> but a mutually submissive, submissive marriage is this. Based out of your gifting. So marriage, Stacy and I lead in different ways based on how we're gifted. There's ways that she leads our marriage that I never could. And if I try to do that, if I try to usurp her service and leadership, it hurts our marriage. So it's based on this idea of giftedness. The second piece is, it's choosing to be for what is best in the other person. Right? What if we chose to be for what's best? I know that's hard. I'm 20 years into marriage. But if you choose to be what is best, then you're just like Christ does with you. Then you're building the person up and you're building into your marriage. It's covenant love. It's God being for us. So then we jump into verse 33. Again, you've heard it said that it was the people, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath. And oaths were a big, big thing. If you said this sort of in the name of God and it fulfilled, that's a big deal. But fulfill to the Lord the vows you made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it's the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. In other words, they were swearing oaths by all these different things. Trying to make their, their commitments sound big and, and in the name of whatever it might be. And do not swear by your head, for you not you cannot make even one hair white or black or grow back at all. <laughs> Verse 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Isn't this in, like? And remember, we're breaking this down into sections. This was one sermon. So it would make sense that Jesus talked about lust, connected to marriage, connected to let your yes be yes. You made this covenant in the eyes of God. Are you going to commit to it? So what Jesus is referring to is the ceremonious ways in which Jews made oaths, particularly Pharisaic types. And to make it really simple, what Jesus is simply saying to them is, let your word be your word. Stop being a hypocrite. And as much as we need a conversation on lust and divorce, I think our society needs a, needs a, a word on, let our yes be yes. When you make a commitment, do what? Follow through. Let your no be no, too. But you see how they're committed and they stand on each other. Isn't it interesting? 2,000 years later, if Jesus sat up here preaching this message, it would be just as relevant, wouldn't it? And again, not in this, meh, but in this, the kingdom paints a better way of life. Like, what if if we all had healthy relationships, healthy marriages? What if divorce were less and less? Divorce rates are almost as common in the church as they are outside of the church. Not quite the same, but pretty close. One of my favorite passages I want to give you as we sort of tie things up here is, Philippians 2, and it's after this beautiful passage where, where it talks about the servant Jesus, you know. and One day we all will bow before the na- name of Jesus. Like John was talking earlier, every ethnicity, we all will bow. And then it says this, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Sounds good, right? Like this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, Paul says, work at it. And it's, it's an athletic term. Work at it. Be serious about it. Let your yes be your yes. And then the second part of the sentence says, for is it, it is God who is at work in you. Work at it, but understand that God is the one working in you to do things. What I want to encourage you to think about today is really sit with the last part and how it affects the other two. If your marriage is in trouble, if you're thinking about getting out of your marriage, let your yes be your yes. What do you need to say yes to for your marriage to be what God wants it to be? When it comes to lust, guys, girls, teenagers, whoever it might be, your yes to God is actually not lust in the ways that destroy who you are. They do. They tear at the fabric of of who we are. What yeses do you need to make to begin taking these things seriously? Again, maybe it's a yes to a small group. Maybe it's a yes to celebrate recovery. Maybe it's a yes to counseling. Maybe it's a yes to just finally saying out loud, I struggle with this. Maybe it's a yes to saying to your spouse, we need to have a conversation. I was talking with a friend over the last week who was thinking about getting out of her marriage and decided at her church to enter into a Christ-centered 12-step process. And again, it wasn't around addiction. It was just around anger. It was around the the fact that for the whole of her life, it had just been about obeying the rules. And she thought things would be okay. And she went through this 12-step process and understood who Christ wanted to be in her life, who she was in the eyes of Christ. And in saying that yes, she saved her marriage and now has a healthier marriage than she's ever had. What yeses do you need to say yes to to be healthy, to be who Christ wants you to be. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this space, this time, the chance to worship here at Rosa Parks, God. Pray that we would take this seriously, God. Society says one thing, Lord, but you're inviting us into a different reality, a reality where we don't see people as property, but we see them as as people we get to serve, whether it's our spouse, someone that we're looking at, that we're lusting at, God, I pray that we would see people through your eyes.